of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not man, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Thank you, Rafa. Um, slaves and masters. Well, I, c- I, I just couldn't think of a better title. I'm not very good at thinking up titles. So <laughs> that was it. And that was what it was in the heading in the, in the Bible. So I thought, well, that'll do. Um, so, I'm sorry, my, my creativity. Um, there seems to be biscuit down here. Anyway. Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome. Let's, I've got a question for you um, to begin with. Do you live to work or do you work to live? Do you live to work or work to live? Is your goal clock to clock? Watch, you know, to, 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 could, uh, Anne, could you put the whole lights on? As, would that be all right? I'm finding the, the evening lighting quite, quite, uh, troublesome for my eyes. Ooh. There we go. That's a bit better for me. I've got bad eyes. It doesn't work. They don't work well. I'll start there again. Do you live and live to work or work to live? It, is your goal to clock on, clock off, get out the door, get on with life? Or do you get up at five, get suited and booted, beat the rush, 15 hour day? Do you live to work or to work to live? Let's pray. God our Father, we thank you for your word to us this evening. Uh, we pray now that you by your spirit would come and help us to understand it and apply it to our hearts and our lives for we ask in Jesus name amen so please open your bibles uh, keep your bibles open at ephesians um it'd be very useful page 1177 now i want you to just turn back a couple of pages to chapter 2 ephesians chapter 2 and um, to give you a little bit of a, a context set here, we're told how we become a Christian back in chapter 2. And verse 1 says, we were dead in our transgressions and sin. Dead is in dead. Dead is in really dead, spiritually. Uh, and verse 4, though, thank God, continues, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you've been saved. That's the gospel coming to us in Christ Jesus through his death and his resurrection. The good news of of God's grace to sinners, like you and me, that that he sent his son for us to die. And so what you then get in chapter 4, we've been, as a a church, working uh, through that the last few chapters, seeing how that gospel then begins to, to work itself out. That being a Christian makes a difference. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus makes a difference. A difference in your marriage relationship. It makes a difference in the home with parents and children. And now it makes a difference in the workplace. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that transforms 
all these relationships. And we need to make sure that we have that understanding that it's the gospel that changes these things. Paul says in here in chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit is, is in the ongoing um, continuous tense. It's an ongoing event. Be filled with the Spirit as you meet as the church, as brothers and sisters together. Be filled as you submit to one another in the home, in marriages. Be filled with the Spirit as children and parents. Be filled now with the Spirit as slaves and masters. And the passage divides very easily into two parts, into slaves and employees, we'll, we'll talk about, and masters and employers. But first, I think it's really important that we say something about slavery here. Now, slavery. Here we have a unique situation. This is a unique situation But there are some timeless principles. Remember that. Unique situation, but timeless principles that we can apply to the workplace. The picture, the circumstances here, in some sense, are unique. Uh, Approximately one-third of the whole of the Roman Empire was in slavery. One-third. That's millions of people. So if you were to, to remove slavery from the empire like that... It would be like removing machinery from the manufacturing industry today. The whole thing would just shut down, wouldn't function. I mean, Paul could not remove slavery, even if he'd tried. Now, that's not to say that the good news of Jesus Christ didn't affect it. Go and read the little letter to Philemon, a few pages on. There the gospel radically altered the relationship between a runaway slave called Onesimus and his slave master Philemon. And Paul calls Onesimus um, his, his brother in the Lord and it changed the whole relationship. The gospel was already sowing the seeds that would undermine the whole institution of slavery. But it took time. It took time. It was gradual to happen. Paul addresses the unique circumstances here in time of how the gospel influences the households of slaves and masters. But these principles that we have here are timeless and can be put into practice in the workplace between employer and employee. Now, many of you um, work, I know, in various uh, types of industry, um, in government, in media. We won't do a straw poll to find out what. Um, Commerce, schools and hospitals. And of course, we have and we need certain um, laws and regulations and agencies to protect the employer from the lazy employees. And also we need these for abusive and threatening bosses on the other side of the equation, don't we? We have loads of laws and agencies that do these things. We need these. Why do we need these things? We need these because we are sinful. We're selfish. We're always looking out for number one, that is the first part of that Ephesians 2 that we talked about, that we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. But, as you know, we can, we can stick these rules in codes of conduct, we can stick these rules in, into contracts, 
but it will not actually result in us living in the right way of those truths. Because the grace of the Lord Jesus works and has to work first in the believer internally. It has to come in the heart first, transforming us from the inside by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the indwelling spirit of God. Again, it's that first part of Ephesians. It will ultimately only be an internal transformation that will deal with slavery and it will be an internal transformation that will deal with all the problems of our day. Be filled with the Spirit. How? Because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. I'm going to repeat that message because it's so important. Unique situation here, but timeless principles. Get the gospel equals internal change equals transformation in the workplace and in the world. That's a little bit about the context of slavery here. But first, secondly, what about working for the boss, for those of us who are employees? That's verses 5 to 8. Look with me at verse 5. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. What are employees supposed to do? Obey. It's it's an immediate challenge, isn't it? As I'm sure uh, all of us have some challenging bosses. We all have problem in doing this very thing, in in obedience. But of course, the, the reality is the problem is often with us, actually. We naturally don't want to obey anyone. We naturally uh, think, uh, you know, who made them boss? You know, why should I do that? What, what gives him the, or her the right to, to be, think that they're so special? When we're like this, we remember that disobedience, of course, is something that comes from the old nature. Of course, it's back to, back to chapter 2, where it says, The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Disobedience, you see, is, a, is disobedience in the workplace is a sign of our sin and our rebellion. So, so the Christian employee is supposed to be exemplary. We're supposed to be exemplary in the way we, we take direction. I know it's not easy at times, but that's what we are called to do. Now, of course, there are some exceptions to this. Um, and I'll come to those in a moment. But our general modus operandi, the way that we a default, is to obey our boss. If they ask us to do these things, this list of five things, we should do it. Not go, oh, what about just doing three, boss? No, just do the five. Just do them. Say it. But we find it so hard just to obey. As verse 6 says, Obey them not only to win their favour, but that when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Now, what about the exceptions? Because you want to know the exceptions, don't you? <laughs> That's the reality of our hearts. Actually, we'd rather know about the exceptions than the general rule. The exceptions. Three qualifications. We cannot obey immoral direction. The perfect example is it. Uh, Exodus chapter 1, the midwives are ordered 
to kill all the baby boys, the little baby boys, by the Pharaoh. But they disobey, don't they? And they put Moses in a basket. And we know the rest of the, the story. Um, disobedience because called to do something immoral. So I'm sure for some here that may be involved in medical um, profession, it's a real challenge around the area of abortion. And I suspect it will become an even real cha- more real challenge and, uh, around uh, areas of euthanasia in the future. But the, for some of you may be involved in financial services, what if a boss asks you to do something fraudulent or looks pretty dodgy and immoral? which is basically stealing. It's a great challenge. You've got to think it's through. So that's the first one. First exception is not obey a moral direction. Second one is we cannot be obedient if it's idolatrous. Remember Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Uh, they asked to bow down and worship a statue at three o'clock in the afternoon, um, siesta time. And uh, they're called to do that, and they disobey doing that because it would be idolatrous disobedience because it would be to deny their real master, the God of heaven. Third one, we cannot be obedient if it suppresses the gospel, if our freedom to speak of Jesus. And the the example of this, I think, is in Acts 4, um, where Peter and John, they go out preaching, don't they? And they're told, we don't want any more of this Jesus stuff. You can do whatever you like, but you're not allowed to speak about Jesus. That kind of summarises chapter 4 for you. Go and have a look at it. And what do they say? Acts 4.19 says, But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So there are exceptions. It's important to note those exceptions. But don't lose sight of the fact that we are called in most circumstances to obey. Probably 99.9% of the time we're called to obey, because most of us won't be in those exception circumstances. Why? Because verse 7 says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. As if you were serving the Lord. It's really critical. You see, we as God's children... If you're a follower of Jesus Christ here tonight, you don't want to, we don't want to misrepresent our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, by our disinterest, by our laziness, by our rebellion, by our complaining, by our disobedience, by our generally not being obedient. You see, our friends need not only to be invited to Christian events, uh, whatever they might be, they need to see that life has changed you and the way that you act in the world, that you've made you different. They need to see that. Following Jesus works out in your life in some tangible difference. And one of the things that is going to be in the area of obedience, serve wholeheartedly. It's tough. Wholeheartedly. It's really tough because let's face it, not all jobs are that exciting. Will we serve the Lord wholeheartedly? You know, even when we're doing those mundane jobs of connecting the widget thing to the thingy-mabob and you've got to do that over and over again. Or move the file, open the file, stamp the file, move the file on for the millionth time. I'm, I recall one summer I had a real job 
I have had some real jobs. Uh, I, I got a job with the, the Cambridge Plant Breeding Company. Sounds very exciting. It wasn't that exciting. It was a summer job. One of the jobs I had was called the Thousand Grain Weight. Guess what that involved? (laughs) It involved counting a thousand grains. (laughs) It uh, was an indoor job. There was no ventilation. It was the height of summer. One, two, three... No, actually, we counted in fives. So it was five, ten, fifteen. But imagine it. Um, I was, imagine losing count. You have no idea. It's fine when you're at 20, but when you get to 920... <laughs> I used to lose the will to live. Thousand grain weights. Wholehearted... Uh, Wholeheartedness, what a challenge. Where was the gospel changing my attitude? That was the place God called me to, uh, called me to serve in that place, in that summer. Maybe I would have had an opportunity to speak of Jesus, um, the one I love and the one I serve, had I have done the job in a, in a different way. Goodness knows what the results of all those tests were like, of those thousand grain weights either. It's not good, is it, to do the job badly, there was probably some 700 grain weights out there. <laughs> you see, on the surface, the jobs God calls us into may look like a means to an end. A means to an end. I work to live. But when we see the jobs we have as serving Christ, they take on a, a whole different perspective. I also recall when I was in, in Carlisle, when I first started um, as a curate, we had a lot of nursing homes in the parish, and I would go, I was told by the incumbent to go in and try and share a, a word of scripture and pray with, with them. 90% of them just fell asleep straight away, 10% had various dementia, and um, they just, they just what, I kept thinking, what is the point in this? All this hard work going round. Um, and I thought, no one cares, you know. Um, my heart was not wholehearted. But Jesus does care about people and things, doesn't he? He does care. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. My heart had to change. Our greatest potential I believe as St. John's as a church is not where we are here today as to gather together but where we, when we're not here together when we're being whole life disciples out in the world and the majority of the time each week of course is spent out there in the workplace with our boss, with our colleagues wholeheartedly serving serving who? Serving the Lord let's get on with it, let's be obedient because, as verse 8 tells us, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether slave or free. Now, what about bosses? Some of you are bosses here, I'm sure, who have people under you um, that when you say jump, they jump. 
verse 9 says, Masters and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. In the same way. What does that mean? Employees, going back to employees, ask, does the employer get the work from me they have the right to expect? Do I do a fair day's work or am I a clock watcher? Am I surfing the internet all day? Um, on our social media, continuing to try to get out of the staff. But in the same way, the employer, the boss needs to ask, because of my commitment to Jesus Christ, because he is my master, does the employee receive the benefit from me that they have the right to enjoy? When we, the reality is when we look, at, look back at British history, History. We can look at it often in a very rose-tinted way. But if you look at British history, we know that this way of thinking has not always been the case. We, we recognise the kind of absolute licence and the liberty that, that some bosses were taking, um, particularly in the 19th and early 20th century, and how poorly they cared for employees how children were forced into hard labour at very, very young ages and asked to do things that we would never ask a child to do. Women were subjugated into jobs with no facilities for them. Who was going to represent them? So we got the development, didn't we, of, of unions because bosses weren't uh, answering those necessary questions that we've just asked. They weren't answering them. What happened... I le- I, as I was looking at this this week, I, I did a bit of history. I'm not usually very good at history, but I'll let you into my history lesson. Um, what happened? You had the rise of the Christian socials, socialist movement. Um, the precursor to the Labour Party rose up. Now, I'm not making any political statements before you, any of you are, say anything to me after. I'm purely telling you the history here. The Labour Party rose out of this. And it was begun. Do you know who it was begin, begun by? It was begun by a Christian man. A Christian man called Keir Hardy, who said, it is not right for bosses to take advantage of employees in this way. It was not a modern socialist liberal atheist. No, it was because of what the Bible said. It was a Christian who read his Bible. And, and uh, here's a quote from Hardy. I have said, he said, both in writing and from the platform many times, that the impetus which drove me first into the labour movement and the inspiration which has carried me on in it has been derived more from the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth than from all other sources combined. All other sources combined. In the same way, Paul says, employers are to ask, are the ones under my care and instructions treated fairly and get the benefits that they have the right to enjoy? So if you're a boss here tonight, verse 9 continues. Do not threaten, that's the kind of bullying. Do not threaten or bully them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Being equitable with your employees is very important. 
it can be very hard because it, often we naturally go into favoritism, don't we? And then we treat some people differently from everybody else. But the call to the boss is to be fair-minded. Why? Because we have a master. The Lord Jesus Christ who does not show favoritism. So to summarise, going back to the attempts of our world to achieve this same objectives are actually, they're countless, countless movements throughout every generation and any superficial knowledge of history reveals that humans have had a long, long time to try and figure these things out. We've been trying to figure these things out for for centuries. And have we done it? It took centuries, centuries in the West, for slavery to be abolished. And yet, of course, we know it's still going on in many parts of the world. Significant number of people are enslaved, despite high levels of political intervention, despite the, 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 the efforts of the UN... The trafficking of women and children is an epidemic. Why? Because if you don't have one of these, if you don't have a Bible, you don't know what to say. You don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform people to then transform society. People will say, we need a little bit longer to fix it. Just give us a bit longer. How long do you need? You see, the seeds of decay are, are always there. They're like the weeds that will spring up in, in, in the spring. When you thought that you've got rid of them, the fact is all the attempts of this world remain because we live in a fallen world, broken, sinful and rebellious. We don't want God. We don't believe in him. We care only about ourselves. And that's why we need Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2, chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We need to know that we're idolatrous, that we're sinful, we're immoral, and we're disobedient. And chaos ensues. It's not a pretty picture. You see, a Christian, first and foremost, should be a realist. You should be very real about the state of who we are and the world around us. We should be a realist. You see, a Christian is a realist. Slavery will not stop. Ultimately, wars at the moment will not stop. The breakdown of employer-employee relationships will not stop. Until when? Until when Christ returns. Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. You will always have the poor with you. What's he saying? Why did he say that? Because you will. He's not disrespecting the poor. Jesus had many things to say about the poor. He, he dealt with it. He recognized the oppression, the exploitation, human trafficking. And he will continue in some form or other that leads to poverty. But the answer, and the only answer to these things, is the gospel, is the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about... Uh, Ephesians 5 on, on marriage, which we looked at not long ago. You're supposed to have one husband and one wife, 
and live together, forsaking all others. Could you imagine if we actually did that? But of course we know in our world we can't do it. Things fall apart. We are sinful. And so we need the gospel. How do we deal with rampant disobedience in the home between children children and parents? Children left to, to do what they like, when they like. And of course we have every scheme, every plan, every program, every kind of effort. Papers are written, mountains of papers are written and programs. But of course they all bow. The the thing that will change these situations is the gospel. See, boys and girls, teenage men and women all need a new heart. We all need here tonight a new heart. And that can only happen through Jesus Christ and the gospel. How do you deal with racism? It's the gospel. Dare I say it? How do we deal with Brexit? It's the gospel. How do we deal with a difficult employee? How do we deal with a difficult boss? It's the gospel. This is what makes this so powerful, so amazing. Consider Paul's approach for a moment. And I know I'm speaking for a long time. <laughs> Consider Paul's approach. Um, he doesn't call, does he, a great kind of anti-slavery campaign. He doesn't call for a convention on human rights. What does, what does Paul do? He writes a letter, a tiny, incy-wincy letter called Philemon. That's his approach to, to obscure part of the Roman Empire, to a house church received by Philemon, Philemon a slave master, with a request that a runaway slave called Onesimus be welcomed back into the household as a fellow brother in the Lord. Go and have a look at it. It's amazing. Long after all the declarations, all the long speeches at UN, the Mount of Rallies, Philemon continues to be read today. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, brought change between a slave and a master. And it's the same change that can happen in Blackheath It's the same change that can happen in your workplace between employer and employees. So, what is tomorrow? Tomorrow is Monday. Tomorrow is Monday. Tomorrow is the moment to show your world the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is Lord. That he is the master. And he is the saviour. And that we serve him. Let's pray. God, our Father, thank you um, for your word. Father, we do pray for our Monday mornings, wherever they might be, whether they're in the workplace, whether they're at home, whether we're with people, whether we're with our boss, or whether we're with our employees. We pray that we will hear the gospel. And as we hear about Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save sinners, that we would be reminded that you have rescued us. And if you've changed us, you've humbled us. And we pray that that would change the relationships that we would obey.
obey you and seek to submit to those around us. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.